Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles, the podcast where every week we find those unexpected connections across all of your favorite mixed media from film, television, music, literature, sports, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleinman, and this is my co-host, George Peyton Pritchard Gordon III. Take it away, George. Thank you, Dave. Ooh, I got Peyton, Peyton Pritchard off that very middling uh, Boston Celtics. I like it. Again, <laughs> keep doing a different one every week. I'm entertained by I mean, they're probably going to get more obscure and <laughs> more and more obscure, but <laughs> I mean, that's, that's almost my name. Oh, it kind of is close. I, I'm, I'm often called Pritchard instead of Pritchett. I like it though. That's fun. Anyway, Dave, this week on the show, we've got Raleigh Williams, who is a writer, producer, comedian, and climate activist. We're going to be talking about pool players and politicians. Uh, looking forward to getting into that. But before we get to that, how are you doing? Oh, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm okay. I'm hanging in there. One of the fun things uh, going on is my Chicago Bulls are chasing your Washington Wizards for the right to be the worst uh, Eastern Conference playoff team in the NBA playoffs. You, you, by the look on your face, you seem confused, which I'm surprised because you're such a. The Wizards are uh, 35 and 38. The Wizards are in the tenth spot. Uh, in the play-in tournament, so they're in the very last spot, and the Bulls are the only other team that are still in contention. Oh, they're still in contention. They are. It's it's not going to happen because they're there. So what has to happen is uh, Washington has to lose both of their two games, and uh, the Bulls have to win all three of their games. And tonight they play Toronto, very winnable game, but then they play Brooklyn and Milwaukee. <laughs> Oh, I gotcha. They're not going to win all three of those games. Yeah, I think we have Indiana and somebody else. But like the two hard games were Atlanta back to back, which we lost by one in both games. That was last night and and the night before. Oh, I'm following. I okay, yeah, okay. I wish I cared more uh, so we could make this like a real rivalry. <laughs> but uh, like I said, they're fighting to be the tenth best team, so. <laughs> I can't, I can only get up so much for that, but so uh, how are you doing, George? What's going on with you? I'm good. I got a pretty good, pretty good tapes and record hauls. So this week I got a Benny the Butcher in the mail uh, cassette tape. Um, there's a coffee shop of the street. I don't drink coffee as has been, I've mentioned many times in this podcast, but this coffee shop yard sale shout out has got, they sell tapes and records. And I bought a Randy Travis tape. Forever and Ever, Amen, by the way, it might be one of the greatest songs ever written. Um, um, and you've heard that, and that is not hyperbole. And I bought a Garth Brooks tape, and uh, I like the Garth Brooks tape so much that I bought a Garth Brooks record that came in the mail yesterday. Uh, Garth Brooks, shout out, has sold over 170 million records. So A-plus, A-plus work by, by Garth Brooks. Including the one you just bought. Yeah, well, I mean, like he's, I mean, <laughs> there's only like, aside from the Beatles, like nobody has sold more records than him. And he's the top selling solo artist of all time. That's insane. That includes Michael Jackson, Elvis, blah, 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 blah. Wow. I, seriously? Wow. Yeah. There is a there is a run of Garth Brooks records from like 88 to like 94. He's just pumping them out. He's a man. He was a man. Uh, so much so I'm like, is Garth Brooks coming to da- coming, <laughs> coming to that next summer? I'm going to go. And then I also got, I got a Janet Jackson record. So Janet Jackson could tape Control, which has got the best uh, celibate love song of all time. <laughs> Let's wait a while. Um, uh, so, yeah, no, I got a decent record, decent record in tapes hall this week. So I'm excited about what I've got. Nice. 
I think that's good enough for me. Let's see what's on top. Today, we're going to be talking about Brandon Stewart's shoe deal and the, the Hollywood foreign press. I've got some thoughts on what's happening. So, <laughs> like, who cares? <laughs> Let's start with the shoe deal, Dave. Uh, Brianna Stewart, Puma. Yeah, so Seattle Storm WNBA champion, MVP. She's incredible. She just got her own signature shoe. Yeah, she left Nike to go to Puma. It's awesome because not that many women basketball players have their own shoe. I think she's the second in 25 years. Second in 25 years, which is ridiculous considering some of the male players that have had signature shoes, the likes of Matthew Della Vadova. Uh, NBA champion Matthew Della Vadova, by the way. Okay, <laughs> 15th man who played five minutes uh, versus the- Every seven and a half points that season. Good for you. Well, we're seeing the other ones. Luis Scola, you want to defend him too? Argentina. <laughs> Argentina's superstar. That guy's a legend in Argentina. These players are fine. But like <laughs> the fact that these guys have shoes- you Give me some other ones. I'll, I'll... Al Harrington had his own shoe. I mean, you know, Joakim Noah, who I loved, he had his own shoe. He did. He did have his own shoe. It's just, it's just for defensive player of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I love him. He's a great player, but like, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't, you didn't mention the one that's, that's the most entertaining, which is big country Reeves. Just so I can go number one draft pick. In the, in the NBA. <laughs> no, he wasn't even the number one draft pick. He was a six pick, but he, oh, was, he I thought it was, his, I thought it was the number one draft pick. No, he was Vancouver's first pick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Case in point, big country Reeves. Everybody should go ahead. We'll, we'll link to it and look up those shoes those are like the worst shoes I've ever seen. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. We're, we're burying the lead though. It's like, in essence, we are, it's super dope that Brianna Stewart has got a shoe deal with Puma and hopefully that's a sign of more things to come because like a, you definitely want to see more of those things out. And plus it's like, it's, it's, it's rad to have that. So awesome. So shout out to Brianna Stewart. Totally. Next on tap, those rascals over at the Hollywood foreign press are uh, making news again. Some kind of controversy, of course, always. NBC has announced that they're not going to air the Golden Globes because new reports have been coming out, especially over the last few months, uh, about the lack of diversity in the Hollywood foreign press and the fact that there are historically no black members, you know, which is why, you know, you see the nominations come out the way that they come out and the award show it's like what the rooms where this stuff gets decided looks like and in addition to the concerns about diversity the hollywood ford and press has also been accused of impropriety when it comes to how the organization reports on the entertainment industry so again it's like you know there's uh as george would say hollywood ford and press taking a lot of l's taking a lot of l's for sure <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise returned his three awards that he won for uh, the Golden Globes. And and uh, I was thinking if that had been me, I would have kept the one for Born on the Fourth of July. That was him like really going for it. Everything else, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you say you got to keep the one where you played the uh, the paraplegic war vict- uh, war- warrior rope. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, in other performance, like in today's performative nonsense, like here's your awards back. Like, what does that do? Yeah, I know, right? So, so shout out to him. Is like he won for Jerry Maguire, uh, he won for Born on the Fourth of July, and he won for Magnolia. So he returned those three awards, which I guess I, I every time I see my buddy, he's wearing an army jacket. It was like, what are you, Ron Kovacs from Born on the Fourth of July? <laughs> nice jacket. So I'm just glad that that reference can still keep going now that people know who Ron Kovacs is. That's a right. Re- like people still won't get that reference. <laughs> this, this is a deep cut. <laughs> You got to know Born on the 4th of July. 
<laughs> nice jacket. What are you, oh, Ron Kovacs? Oh, thank you for that, George. <laughs> All right. I think uh, I think we're tapped out. I think we are, yes. And uh, we're going to go in and sit down with our guest, Raleigh Williams. Please enjoy. Hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Mary Beth? Hello, my friend. It's nice to see you. You too. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay. You know, back in New York. So, so I'm excited, excited to be back in the apple that never sleeps. Uh, oh yeah. That's the, <laughs> that's what we always call it every time. Every time. <laughs> um, everybody else. Oh, Hey, yes. George. Oh, the whole squad. We're all here. We're all here. We're here. So yes. Lo- lovely to have you. Want to introduce you to, to these two other lovely humans, George Gordon and Dave Kleinman. Nice to meet both of you guys. It's good to be in a room with two hosts whose last names have end in N, you know, it's kind of got like a, Little, little gummy bear. Never, uh, thought, thought about that before, but you're right. It is uh, it is audibly yeah. pleasing. I think. <laughs> yeah, as a producer, I feel like I am failing in that role, and I, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. you know, we need that balance. So, are we going to kick Mary Bess off, or what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> J J K. No, we we need her. We we need her very much. Yeah. <laughs> As uh, she produced for you as well, so I'm sure you you know. Yeah, she yeah the 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 pandemic rolled around and uh, it, it would have kept going if I had let Mary Best keep producing it, but I was like, no 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 no, we gotta, we gotta stop this. <laughs> I wasn't gonna stop for a virus. Yeah, I mean, come on. Um, but yes, it has been it has been quite a while since you know. As, as many of us have experienced, a lot of us haven't been in the same room with people for a little bit, but um, that hopefully will change that soon. And in the meantime, it's lovely to have you on camera and on the podcast. So how, uh, how has your day been? I'm sorry, your internet's been giving you some trouble. Uh, my day has been, it's been a pretty eventful day, to be honest. I got up at the crack of seven. Um, I... I shaved my beard into what I call uh, the David <laughs> Kleinman, which is a mustache. Just kidding. <laughs> so, like, it's got the mustache, but then it's a hint of a beard. So, you know, I'm just joking about the mustache. You just, I, we've never even met. Him. You just <laughs> nailed me. Got ya. Um, I, you're the uh, the icon for the show. Know your roles has that perfectly drawn. Like, I, I couldn't. I saw it and I was like, "Bing, perfect." He's got a mustache. <laughs> Just kidding. This is this is the this is the guy. Yeah, shout out to Amanda Zeller who did our beautiful rebranding for us. Gorgeous work. We love her. Yes, rebranding. So there was like a previous copy of this that was just like, "Oh, who did who did the first version?" That's my question. There, there was a there was a copy of uh, of it that oh. my fiance did because. It was like we need a design, and she was like, "I will do that for you." And I was like, "That's fantastic." So, uh, but that, then when we actually got a producer and we got like, you know, we we wanted right. to spend some money. <laughs> so you know, take what you. I'm get glad that free. didn't um, irrevocably destroy your relationship. <laughs> no, for for the record, I want to say that I loved I loved the previous design. I thought she did a great job. Got it. Why are you shaking your head though? Why? that's that's just my norm man i'm just like uh i just shake blink if she's right there with you (laughs) she's she's back (laughs) okay all right all right 
one of the comments on a, a video of yours talks about your, let me read it out loud, your continuously advancing 80s mustache. So I think you've been <laughs> leaning into this for a while. That's true. Yeah, that comment actually, like, kind of launched my, I, I, I shaved it because, well, I got up real early, shaped up my face so that I could go to university or Columbia University to take some graduation pictures. Um, and, uh, thank you so much, Mary Banks. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I, I sometimes like, I normally have this kind of look, but that dude, some dude keeps commenting like, bro, you got to let that thing come down. You know? <laughs> and so every, every video, I let it come down just a little more. And it was like a full on, like Ben Stiller from dodgeball, like horseshoe, uh, one of the village people, the biker from the village people. <laughs> Yeah, I think the the exact quote is, have we, as a country, considered utilizing the abundant, pure, and sustainable energy given off by Raleigh's continuously advancing 80s mustache? Wow. That's, I feel like I didn't read that comment in its totality, but that <laughs> is a pretty glowing endorsement for Absolutely. More, more mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people love it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think that's a good place to uh, get started. Absolutely. We like to ask people how their kind of their world has changed over this last like year and a half, uh, kind of starting out. But we know that you were doing an inconvenient talk show, a caveat in 2020 before the shutdown. Um, and you were also mm. pursuing your climate science and policy graduate degree at Columbia, which congratulations again, you just uh, finished. Thank you so much. And you were producing Climate Town. So can you tell us like what that journey has been like over the last year of like taking the comedy thing and like, you know, turning it into climate activism and a degree and and all that stuff? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, I guess I just finally realized this is the Mary Best crossover episode because this is the two the two big productions that she's spearheaded. That's and this is like in in the um, know your roles extended universe. This is like a big episode, I think. Agreed. Just cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah. So I was doing. Um, I, I kind of did it the the opposite way, where I was doing this comedy show at Caveat um, that I had originally put up this show at the Annoyance Theater in Brooklyn. Does anyone remember that thing? Mm -hmm. um so they were like they just needed more shows and and i pitched this show to them like this sort of idea of what if al gore was just like i fucking told you guys you know like that was the premise of the show in in, in a in like a little pastiche um and so like that was five six years ago and then eventually like caveat picked up the show um uh, another producer, Carly Hogendyke, was working at Caveat at the time, and she was she was instrumental in getting this uh, inconvenient talk show put up at Caveat. And after about a year, so the premise of the show, like I didn't really, I wasn't really like super interested in climate change. I I knew it was like a big deal, and you know, like we're all going to die or whatever. But I just kind of just you know, I wanted to do a funny Al Gore talk show comedy bit because i was i'm a comedian first and not a climate actor not at the time 
And then the premise was like, oh, we get a bunch of comedians, but we'd also get a real climate scientist. And then they'd come on the show and they'd kind of make it smart because that was the whole shtick of the caveat. Like it, they literally mm-hmm. wouldn't pick up your show unless there was some element of like, we're going to, we're going to teach you guys, the audience, something. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it with, with uh, climate scientists or whatever. Like how hard could they possibly be to track down? And it turns out they were super easy to track down because all of them are like, guys, we are fucking the planet so hard right now. And any opportunity to, to tell a, an audience that they'll take. So it was pretty easy to find climate scientists. And after a year of doing the show, I was like, I, it kind of became clear what an enormous, you know, intractable problem climate change was. And so I pivoted from and then I, I, I quit my job and I applied to Columbia and I got in. And then I kind of just tried to do both at the same time. And then once the pandemic hit and then shows went online, it was horrible. I hated doing an online comedy talk show because I was like, part of the, a big part of the show is like ultra edited. So I'm like pulling graphics and like doing overlays and shit and that's all fine and good when you can do it on a PowerPoint. I'm, by the way, is this too dense? I feel like I'm, I'm boring myself talking about this. Is this okay? Okay. Um, so like the shtick of the show, because Al Gore is so like into PowerPoints is that the whole show is on like a, a keynote. Um, but I also like, am a video editor. So a lot of the, the slides will like explode out into like a long three minute video that we, you know, like a man on the street thing. And, uh, and it's, you know, I can, I can page through the slideshow on a clicker, but when you're behind, when you're doing it all from a computer in the pandemic and you're like doing the zoom and you're also operating a slideshow and you're doing this, it just like sucks all the fun out of riffing on stage with comedians. And so it was like, this isn't really like the same thing. And I had always wanted to do a, like a digital comedy series that was, uh, just a bunch of deep dives into the into the climate crisis, and I just was never able to do it because I was. It's a monthly show, and so every month I had to have a new PowerPoint and a new like bunch of guests and get people in the door and book the people and and talk like figure out the interview. And it was just like too much work to do both. But now that I didn't have the show, I was able to focus on the series, and so then the series um, became my primary thing. Um, and and uh the first the first three videos like did okay and then the fourth video like really popped off on reddit and then i was like okay so i'm i'm i felt like i was on to something at that point and then that was kind of the when it when it started to gain a little momentum so when you're doing the videos can you walk us through like i guess uh going from concept to writing it to shooting it and just putting it out because it's like first off there the three that i watch are incredible so Thank you. They're really, really good and wildly entertaining. So shout out to you, bud. Thank you very much. They are. And it's clear that there's like a ton of work that goes into them because you're pulling from like a lot of different, a lot of different sources. Your research is really great. And the way it's put together is really good because it, I, I felt like it was effective because I was also laughing. It was, it's also funny, you know? Thank you. Yeah. I think, um, so that is probably just 
it's a culmination of all of the previous iterations of like my comedy shows and my jobs. So I also, I work, I host like a show for a billiards company based out of Japan. And I also did video editing for a company called Inverse, which was about like, you know, like a future science um, blog. uh, And we, you know, they wrote articles and stuff. Um, so I, you know, I was like an editor and a performer and a host and I was doing comedy and I was doing climate change research for school. And so, um, like each episode of climate town, that was, by the way, if I, I, if you're listening to this and you're like, who the fuck is this? Um, I make a series called climate town on YouTube. Um, so Google it or don't do your thing. You know, I'm not the boss of you. Um, so when, when I'll, when I want to make an episode for climate town, I will kind of start with now I start with what I think the title of the video might be. So like, okay, maybe, maybe I want to do a video that's about the fact that plastic companies, plastic manufacturers um, know that their plastic isn't recyclable, but they spend a lot of money promoting recycling so that they don't have to, deal with any legislation that will restrict their ability to produce which is like pretty fucked up on the scale of how fucked things are that they're like pretty deep into the red zone um and so i i took the title which is like plastic recycling is a hoax and then i watched like six or seven documentaries on the on the topic of plastic and and recycling and then i read a bunch of papers and and i kind of spent about a month just, you know, here and there, gathering all the information and trying to keep it in my head at one time. And then I sat down and and wrote out the scripts. And I, I, because it's COVID times, everything kind of has to be either shot outside or in my apartment. And oftentimes it's by like, she has to be either shot by me or shot by like a close friend who's in my bubble or something. So um, all the locations kind of have to be something that i can just walk to or 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 take the take a bus to or something um so like i write it with the locations in mind as cheaply as possible ideally like zero dollars and then we then i like you know kind of produce it i shoot it get all the footage and then pull all the media from like the documentaries and various pdfs and and annual reports and stuff and then put it all together over the course of 40 or 50 hours of editing in a timeline. And then I put it out and I feel great for two or three days and then I feel bad again. And then I, so I start working on the next one. I mean, two or three days is kind of a long time, I think to feel good about something that you did. <laughs> oh, it's ecstasy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's those two, three days are, they don't make the process worth it, but they do certainly take some of the sting off of, staying up till four or five in the morning, like three nights in a row. Until you realize, Oh, I got to do that. I got to do another one. Yeah. That's, I mean, some, sometimes like right now I'm doing one about fast fashion and all I, all I want to do is write the scripts for the next video, like not the fast fashion video. Like I've got one on Bitcoin and about the buyers in California, but like, you know, it's the most fun time. Do you guys, do you guys like write comedy sketches ever? George does. George. Every once in a while, yeah. Hell yeah. 
I mean, I write other stuff, but just not to be funny. We're only talking about <laughs> comedy sketches right now, David. So take a hike. <laughs> no, um, yeah. Also, when you when you write other stuff, like the idea, it's like, oh, this would be so fun. Oh yeah, this idea is so fun. Great. Now I'll sit down and write it, and then it's just like performing dentistry on yourself, and then like <laughs> other ideas pop in. You're like, ooh, that idea. That's great. It's like that meme of the jealous. What is it? Distracted yeah. boyfriend? I think distracted. Mm-hmm. Boyfriend. I was going to say jealous girlfriend, but I'm like, that is very victim blamey of the name of that meme. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like that. Every, every other idea seems a hundred times better, but I think, I think I've learned to just trust the process at this point. You talked about it a little bit, but you just completed your degree at Columbia studying, studying climate change. Um, I don't know a ton about that program. I weren't, I've, first would like to know if it's like fairly new and what it entails, but also how you Mm -hmm. like, so you're doing inconvenient talk Mm -hmm. show and it was something that you were kind of gaining consciousness of uh, climate change and and talking to these activists, but what took you the next step to be like, Oh, I want to study this. I want to like make this my thing. Yeah. I, that's a great question. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I think it was like a little bit of malaise at work. You know, I, I, I was, I was, I was working doing video editing. Um, and a lot of the videos we'd be editing are like, okay, Elon Musk just like made a cyber truck. Let's make a three minute video about the cyber truck. Like, I don't give a fuck about that cyber truck. Like that's, I'm going to spend my whole day doing, you know, so I was like, I was just spending a lot of time editing stuff that I kind of wasn't that passionate about. And then right at, right at five o'clock or, you know, whenever uh, everybody checked out, everybody would leave the office and I would stay behind until like midnight working on Inconvenient Talk Show. Because I, um, there's a, I think there's a thing in comedy that is like, if it's activism, it doesn't have to be funny. I think people think that and it's the worst. It's so stupid and wrong and bad. And it's like, if you're trying to, if you're doing comedy, it's, you gotta be funny. And I, if you're supernaturally talented, you don't have to work too hard at it. But like, I don't have the natural je ne sais quoi that like, you know, Chris Farley has or something. And so I need to like write it and work it out and cut the the bad stuff. Um, and so like, I was trying to do Inconvenient Talk Show as a comedy show first and like a a show that had climate change in it second. So seeing, like just like taking a step back and looking at myself, like not giving a real shit about like the stuff I was video editing until it was about climate change. Like that kind of of made me realize like, okay, this is, I'm actually like passionate about climate change in some way. And then after a long enough time, it's just like, you read enough books that are like, there's this great book. I wonder if I have it here. Yeah. All right. So this is The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells. And who actually was on the show at one point. And he was real cool. But he's got a, the, the opening quote is, it is worse, much worse than you think. And I'm like, you read, you read that in every book for like a year and then it's like okay well i guess what am i doing you know i guess i gotta i gotta go whole hog and so what then how did you find out about like columbia and what what did you what was uh what was that program like yeah so i um i went online 
as you do, invented by Al Gore. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I looked up all of the climate change based programs in New York, actually in, in America, but I knew I kind of wanted to be like probably New York, maybe LA, maybe, but probably New York. Um, sorry, George, are you in LA? No, I'm in New York. David, oh, are you in LA? No, we're all in New York. Oh, thank God. Okay. Whoo. <laughs> For a second, I was worried. Um, no, I'm, LA is perfectly nice. It's falling into the ocean and it's 180 degrees and it burns down every year, whatever. Um, yeah, so I looked at all the programs and there are only a couple. Like there is only basically, there's one in Columbia. Um, there's one at Pr the Pratt Institute, which I also applied to. And there's one sort of at NYU out of the journalism school, which I also applied to. And the, the NYU one, I was like, I was fairly hot on NYU. And I got this great email from the program director. I applied and like three days later, he sent me an email and he's like, hey, Raleigh, you thought your application was really interesting. Like, you seem like a really like, ooh, like, let, can you come to my office? Like, I want to, I want, we want to like sit down. And I was like, oh my God, swish, you know, like I got this thing in the bag. And so I like pack my bag and I go to his office. Then he's like, okay, let me tell you why you're not getting into this program. <laughs> I was like, what? You couldn't email me that? <laughs> um, but it was like, it turns out he's, he's like, this is a program for journalists. And I think what you're doing is good, but it's not journalism. It's like, you know, communication or something, activism, whatever. And I said, thank you. And, and, uh, got the hell out of there uh, but then columbia let me in so i went to columbia <laughs> uh, their program is called the climate and society program it's through the earth institute um but i think if you're listening to this and you're interested in this program i think it just got sidled into the climate school so columbia just announced that it's it's going to have a whole school a climate school um but they're they're, they haven't divested from fossil fuels. So they are actively part of the problem, but continuously reminding us how willing they are to solve the problem. Um, so that's the thing. So if you're the Dean of Columbia. Many of our institutions, you know, have that kind of hypocrisy. Yeah. Although some, some have like kind of dropped out, thank God. But yeah, um, I don't know. It, it seems pretty psychotic to me to like have a school about climate and then not not divest from the the biggest like opponent of of the climate uh movement um sure yeah so i got into that uh, program and it was it's like a lot of hard science classes and then a lot of uh of elective programs so uh, i took all the hard science programs as as core classes and then I took a bunch of classes in policy and I took a class to the law school. That's kind of the cool thing about this program. Actually, you can take any, any class from any of the schools, as long as it's in some way related to, or you, as long as you can like, you know, judo it into, Oh yeah. The theater program is, I didn't do a theater program, but I bet you if I had really been a dick about it, they would have let me do it. Um, but yeah, I took a, a class at the law school which was, that was maybe one of my favorite classes. And then I took another, like a class in energy policy regulation. And, and then I took a class in the energy system. Um, so like 
how oil gets from point A to point B and, and like the cyber attack on the oil pipeline, for instance, is kind of related. And just to try to get a, a really holistic view of how, how climate change is going to affect the world going forward and what are the levers that people can pull and, and how, to, how can we be effective stewards of the planet given what we know is possible and politically feasible. Um, and my, the very last paper I ever wrote was for this climate change policy class. And it was just two questions. It was what should we do? And what can we do given the political reality of 2020 or 2021? Um, and that was like, that was my favorite paper, I think, to write because, like, what should we do is like, well, there's a little thing called like equity and what we need to do, you know, like the, the poorest, it's, it's, it's this horrible, it's this horrible, pro I almost said horrible, like I was uh, from Chicago. It's a horrible problem where, all of the countries that are most at fault are the richest countries and the most developed countries and the most capable of like weathering any climate issue that might come up, be it hurricanes, sea level rise, fire, war, forest fires. And all the countries that are least responsible are least able to weather those storms and most likely to face damages from climate change. And like, it's this, like, it, 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 there couldn't be a worse setup for what we're currently, what we're going to be going into for the next 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. But that's the reality we live in. What was the question? You answered. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think you got there. But I, I, I do have something that I want you to sort of just completely like slam dunk. Sure. In September of last year, Tucker Carlson called climate change a liberal invention now to that bing bong which i think you referred to him in one of your videos and all those bing bongs who who think that way i want you you to 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 go at him as like as if he was right here letting them know there's like what this what's the deal with climate change because he's a shit for brains and i have to get to explain it to him and a lot of these people on like the most macro level but it's amazing like that people still believe this shit like people still will believe that shit so what do you say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, so it turns out that, um, although it's really fun for me to do it, all of the research says like really dunking on people will make them more sure that they are right, which sucks. <laughs> it's like this horror. It's what's the, um, the Dunning Kruger effect is that am i saying that right where like the dumbest people in the room think they're the smartest people in the room and that's like that's what's kind of happening in the in the world of like climate change and it's it's sort of a self-reinforcing kruger oh i got it okay thank you mary beth um yeah so it's like a self-reinforcing problem so apparently the way you're supposed to Un, un, un not that Gordian knot is by finding something that you both care about and linking that to climate change. So for instance, like people who are hunters or people who are like, they love boating or they like fishing. Mm -hmm. These are all parts of ecosystems that are in, in serious danger and current decline because of, um, you know, warming, warming uh, waters and rising coastal lines. And 
that's kind of the way in to these people. Um, the other big, the thing that like really for me makes it so clear that climate change is, is a thing and it's happening is that all of the oil companies believe it. You know, like the one group who would would like benefit from being able to deny it. They denied it for years, but they're publicly traded companies and that's fraud now. So they, they legally can't do that. And they know what their, they know like where their boundaries are. So they have to on all of their websites, they all admit it, all of them. Yeah. When they had studies, certain oil companies did studies on climate change in the eighties and seventies and hid the results. Yeah. I think you do a great job at pointing out like, that macro level of hypocrisy, you know, I think, which is really important as to your point. Thank you. Yeah. That's like that for me, that is, that is the most watchable thing I think. Cause it's like, it's, it's this like human beings are really good at noticing a cheetah or a Falcon or something is flying at them and like trying to get out of the way. Like that's what we've been bred for like been been you know evolving for for you know thousands of years or or if you believe in the noah's ark six thousand years so um which i do i'm an evangelical christian by the way wouldn't that be a twist although there is an evangelical (laughs) christian climate scientist who's like she she is one of the um the most important people i think in the climate movement because she is able to bridge that gap between people who otherwise don't believe it um i forget what i was talking about oh yeah yeah it's like faceless invisible slow-moving problems are like basically impossible to for the brain to like wrap their head around it's like tef like skimming off teflon or something it just doesn't it doesn't like lodge in there but there are real people and real bad actors and corporate malfeasance and and those sorts of stories like the david and goliath story i think those are really easy to get your head around. And so like that's, I try to like find elements of that in most of the videos I, I make because I just, I feel like that's, that's a way to, for people to really engage with the narrative and it, and it creates a narrative because like people live on a, you know, timeline and corporations kind of merge and, and separate and are just a little different. Yeah. Well, and explaining the why. Yeah. And uh, I'll interject here because Raleigh, I had a, a question for you on this topic. So I was listening oh. to our friend, Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson's podcast the other Ooh. day, How to Save a Planet. She's great. If you haven't listened to it, listeners, please find How to Save a Planet with Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson and follow her work. She is so lovely and is doing so many important things. Um, and in that particular episode, they were talking about the history of climate change and climate activism from, you know, the Reagan administration, Nixon, Nixon administration, like throughout uh, American history, yeah. which is really interesting. Um, I certainly did not know. But they were talking about how divisive this issue has become, how politicized it has become, rather than being a human crisis environmental issue, which it is. Um, and they actually interviewed a few conservative climate activists who are saying a lot of the same things you were pointing to, which is, you know, coming at climate deniers with a truckload of science um, 
oftentimes will deter them from being a part of the conversation. And it's these conservative climate activists who are saying, like, we want conservative climate policy because even though we associate with the Republican Party, we believe in the science. Like, we see that the changes have to be made. Um, so I just wanted to know if in all the work that you've done in at Columbia University and like in all the spaces that you've been in, have you had these conversations with conservative climate um, advocates? Have you have you had run-ins or you know talks with these folk? I have I have talked to one conservative climate activist sort of guy who's sort of an activist and not really. Um, and then I had a, I was trying to launch a podcast that was talking to climate deniers who are, if not 100% conservative, overwhelmingly conservative. Um, yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't had a lot of interface with um, conservative climate activists. I guess it's sort of, it sort of makes sense to me. Although like, the, pro the problem is for me, it's like, okay, no, we want, we want conservatives to be part of this group. It's like, okay, well, what, what about just the, the facts of the matter? No, 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 no. We can't talk. We can't do the facts. That's, that's those facts are divisive. We can't talk about that. What do we do? You know, like, oh, we have to like go way out of our way. Like, it's like, we're sneaking up on a rabbit or something and we've like, okay, no one spook them. No one's saying it. Okay, every, okay, get some get some bread, you know, or whatever the fuck rabbits eat carrots, I guess. I'm like, okay, we're gonna leave a carrot here and then we're gonna back out. It's like, what? Why are we why are we like going breaking our backs to like loop a group of people in who all they want to do is run the other way? Like what I mean, I and and the reason it is important, obviously, is because uh you need consensus to build anything. So that's why you do it. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know. It's like, it's a frustrating thing to talk to somebody about like, okay, well, how do we make companies who produce a lot of carbon dioxide? How do we make them pay for that? Like, oh, well, you got to give them something and then they'll pay for it. Like, well, why, why is, why, why are they holding it hostage? Like, why, why don't we have the power to stop somebody from destroying something even though they've been destroying it for the whole time, you know, like, did they get grandfathered in? Was there like a, a big meeting that no one went to that? Like, they were just like, okay, if you're doing it now, you do get to do it forever. It's, I mean, it's tough, but I think, I think conservative climate activists are probably a, another critical piece of the machine because they're, they're like, they know the language, you know, they know how to like sneak in there. Um, so my other job is I, I host this billiards show. And billiards players are wildly conservative. And it, it and so like, I didn't really realize that until I started like talking to professional and, and amateur billiards players and they're like real skeptics of climate change. But getting to talk to some of them as like from a position of like, oh, I'm in the billiard world and they watch my videos and so they're like oh hey I, I like this guy enough like i'll listen to him so it's like it's been kind of nice to be in a position where i can kind of push a little more climate information on them but i haven't had you know stellar results or anything that's a good way to pivot into our, our next thing because like along with your 
it's like uh, all the stuff that you do with uh, with Climate Town and Climate Change, you are also a very, very good billiards player and pool player. So explain to us that obsession and, and why pool? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, as a kid, I um, my grandmother had a pool table in her basement and I really liked it. And but I was terrible at at pool. I was like tiny and uncoordinated. And then her basement flooded and she had to give the pool table away. And so I begged my parents to let us take it. And then we like I got an army of kids to, you know, like pool tables are heavy as hell. Yeah, the slate's pretty heavy. (laughs) Yeah, it's like super heavy. But I didn't really I, I saw the idea of having a pool table in my head. And I was like, how heavy can anything possibly be? You got enough ninth graders on a car. You can probably lift that thing. Um, but I'm sure we all did like pretty lasting damage to our backs, but also when you're 14, you're kind of made of gum. So mm-hmm. we just were fine. Um, so I had a pool table in my basement and I really, I, you know, I, I liked it a lot. I, I never got very good. Um, and then I, you know, I just like got into it and I, I enjoyed playing pool. Um, and then I moved to New York and then I play, I joined a pool league cause it was, it just was like a fun thing to do. Um, I'm, I'm being all like, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't like pool. It was just like fun to do. No, I, I, I loved pool. It was so fun. I, um, and then eventually I was between jobs and I emailed one of, there's like probably five major billiard manufacturing companies in the world and and the most expensive like one of them is called kamui and they they are based out of japan they're like the highest quality top of the line everything they don't make uh, cue sticks but they make uh the chalk and tips and yeah you know all sorts of other other items for billiards and they emailed me back and they were like who are you what do you what what are why are you emailing us um, and I was like, oh, I make videos and, uh, I think I could, you, you don't have any, any social media and I do social media. I could really help you out. And then they like sent me a ticket to Japan. <laughs> They're like, all right, you're coming here next week. And I was like, ah, oh, I have improv shows. I can't possibly come next week. But I, I went anyway, despite missing my shows. Or maybe I delayed for a week or something. I, I really think I was like, "Oh, I can't, I can't go to Japan. I have to do uh, the, the Creek in the Cave at eleven forty-five p.m." Um, and I went out to Japan and I got this gig with, um, making videos for them. And and so I just ever since have been making making a, a kind of billiard appreciation videos. Like I used to make highlight reels. And then I had this idea for, I'm like an average pool player compared to all these unbelievable, you know, Filipinos and Germans who can just like wipe the floor with anybody that you've ever met. They're like the best, best players ever. And so I, I had this idea for a series where I would recreate these famous important shots throughout professional billiards history, like, like Michael Jordan's The Shot, like there's that in pool. And there's like a lot of those in pool. And and mm-hmm. unlike basketball, you can kind of recreate all the elements of, of the game of pool. And so that I, I have this series where I just kind of like iteratively figure out how they hit the ball and how hard and all these things. And I tried to make it, I tried to write a lot of jokes into it as well. And, uh, and then the series just popped off on YouTube. So I think the first video got like a million 
views in a week or, or a month or something. And so I was just like, I guess this is what I'm doing now. <laughs> like, this, is my, this is my future. Oh, Dave and I, we've watched a few of them. Uh, oh, really? There's been a couple of them. Uh, there's one of the questions I had is like, has there ever been like a shot? You're just like, you know what? Fuck this. I, I, I'm not doing this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a, this, it's, there's this guy named Elaine Martel. He's from Canada. I think he's French Canadian. And I know you were going to ask if he's French Canadian, David. And yes, he is. <laughs> um Check your prejudices at the door, okay, David. Jeez. Oh, I just assumed our. I just assumed. yeah. Well, you were right, but watch it. Um, and he's got the. It's just this like wild ass shot where he gets he gets um. There's like defensive shots in pool. Like if you can't hit the ball, you can like wedge the next. You can miss on purpose and wedge the next guy behind a ball that he's not allowed to hit. And if he hits it, it's like a, a free shot for you. So that happened to this guy and it was like, there was no way for him to hit it unless he, you know, did some sort of magical, like jumping reverse ball hit. And so he like jacked up his cue and shot the ball into the table, which lifted it up into the rail, which popped it over the ball that he was trying to block. And then it, he landed it on the ball he had to hit which that hit the, the correct ball and then it hit the ball he had to avoid into the pocket. And it was just this, like everyone in the room was just like, what the fuck? It was great. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like this amazing shot. And so I, I wanted to try it and I tried it for a whole day and I couldn't get it. And then a year later, I was like, fuck this shot. Like this is, I'm not doing this. Maybe, maybe someday, but not today. And then I went to Las Vegas where the U S open of pool is played. And I stayed with this, the, the, the world's greatest trick shot shooter is this guy named Florian Kohler. Florian. Yeah. yeah. He's unreal. I watched that video too. Oh yeah. People like know who Florian is, who don't know who any pro pool player is. Cause he's just like got a million billion views on all of the different YouTubes. Um, and he and I, and the numbers one and two players in France, this guy, uh, Fabio Rizzi and Alex Montpellier, and yes, David, they're both French, okay? <laughs> um, and so all three of those dudes and, and I tried the same shot for an hour or two, and no one could get it. And we couldn't even, like, get close to it. And that was after that happened, after like the literal greatest trick shot shooter to ever live, couldn't do it. I was just like, this is not worth anybody's time. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Thank you. So Raleigh, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but we do want to get into our game. Sure. Here on the Know Your Rolls podcast, sure. we seemingly take two things that have nothing to do together and we try to make connections to them. And for your episode, you being the the, the pool pool player, we're going to be talking about pool players and politicians. Okay. Uh, and you can kind of go anywhere you want to with this. I'm going to go first. Dave's going to go second. And you're going to go third. We're going to do this around Robin style. So my first pool player, I learned about him from a, on a podcast anthology called Gamblers. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm talking Scott the Freezer Frost. That's right. The last great American pool hustler. Right. And one of my favorite stories about him was he played a guy named Tony Bologna in uh, Ocala, Florida. 
And he, they played for 76 straight hours. And by the time that was over, he was up $86,000 on Tony B. Yeah. And uh, the politician I want to, that I'm going to compare him to is like, because the, the stories are have actually sort of like gotten even bigger and they're bigger than life. And the politician I'm going to compare Scott to Freezer Frost is Teddy Roosevelt. Oh. Uh, again, his stories are, have gotten bigger than life. Uh, he, uh, he downed uh, an armed cowboy with his bare hands uh, in a bar fight. Oh, yeah. yeah navigated a frozen river on a, <laughs> on a boat. So, yeah, so like Scott the Freezer Frost is the Teddy Roosevelt of politicians. I love that, George. That's a great connection. I also, uh, I, I, I uh, read the autobiography, not autobiography, maybe auto, one of the biographies of Teddy Roosevelt pre-presidential bid. Mm-hmm. And the story of him fucking up that cowboy is unreal. Like, it's nuts. Yeah, like this <laughs> dude was just being a dick at a bar and he was like, how about you? And then Teddy like sucker punches this guy in the head. And it's just like, well, what a guy. Let's make him president. You know? <laughs> oh boy. Um, all right. Well, so uh this game was a fun challenge for me because uh of two reasons. One, I didn't know a ton about a lot of pool players, so I had to do some research and two is I probably know too much about politicians and hate most of them. Um, mm, mm. so, so that being said, I was only, I'm only going to, uh, I only picked one old white guy of both politicians okay. and pool players. And so one, only one stinker. And then the rest are people I actually wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, and so the first pool player, again, I don't know what's done about pool, but what I do know about this guy is he had a ridiculous name. And of course, that's w- Rudolph Wanderone. I don't even know if I'm yeah. pronouncing that correctly. Walderone. Walderone. Yeah. Sorry. Is it Wanderone? Shit. Now I don't know. No, I think you're probably right. Oh, I hope so. Is W A N D E R O N E? Wanderone. Okay, I've always said it had an L in there for some reason. Well, e- either way, he took the nickname Minnesota Fats, um, which was, of course, the name of. What is it? Paul Newman, George? Is that or Jackie Gleason? Jackie Gleason. I'm sorry. Um, wrong poker, wrong uh, pool movie. Um, the Jackie Gleason character. And and he said he claimed that that character was modeled after him. But that was not true. Yeah, not true. Um, yeah, he. And that's the right pool movie. Paul Newman is, yeah, uh, it's, it's is the a hustler. young gun. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead and finish, Dave, because I'm um, going to continue this a little uh, bit later. All right. <laughs> um, but so anyway, location specific nickname, Minnesota Fats. Okay. He's a liar. He's a liar because he said that he was uh the character was based on him and it wasn't. That's why, as a politician, John Quincy Adams, John oh. Quincy Adams, another old white guy, President John Quincy Adams, with a ridiculous name and also a location specific nickname. He was known as the Massachusetts Madman. Ooh. Um yeah. <laughs> uh and uh, yeah, he lied about uh, his family's ties to, in, to enslaving people. He yeah. he famously said, yeah, he said, uh, you know, he he was known as like a staunch abolitionist, and and uh, you know, we our family would never have ha, you know do any of this terrible stuff. And uh, his wife's family was like one of the biggest slavers, and like he's a liar. So yeah, Minnesota Fats, Rudolph Wanderone. Wanderone, okay. The Massachusetts Madman. Yeah, that's so. That guy had a bunch of different 
like city based nicknames and then fats. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna get into, I'm oh, gonna get into that. Okay. In fact, okay. I'll do that one next. So All yeah. Right, so do I do mine or what do I? Yes. You do okay. Your, yeah. So mine and this is you probably have come across this guy. So there is and and I I had a lot of trouble with this because I really wanted to do a good job on, for your show. I really did. And it occurred to me that politician, the style of politicians and the style of pool players are a little bit ships passing in the night. Because back in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, when politics was for adults and like boring and politicians were like supposed to be serious people with real ideas, um, that was kind of when um, the Americans were dominating the pool world and you had the kind of kooky characters like your Mike Siegel's and your Earl Strickland's. And then at about around the year 2000, when all these other countries realized like, oh wait, we can, we can fuck up the Americans at pool. That's when like the most, the best pool players became kind of quiet, reserved German guys or, or like a 19 year old from Russia, for instance, is like the best player alive right now, Fedor Gorst. Um, and now politicians are like, psychos with uh you know who, who bring a gun to the capital because you can't stop me like what um okay but i do have one and i think the the he, he's considered the the greatest player of, of all time or ever or or the greatest all-around player he's from the philippines his name is efren reyes um he is everybody loves him I was trying to think of a politician that everybody loved, and I couldn't think of one until I remembered that old Irish president, the old guy, and I didn't look his name up because I didn't want to spoil it in case it wasn't real, but he has a, dog, a golden retriever, and he makes these amazing speeches, and everybody loves him because he's kind of like, just not not too objectionable, but he's a little bit in the background, but he's amazing at politics and so that was my connection so efren reyes is the old irish president nice it works thank you <laughs> all right so i was going to do this later but i'll go and get into it now because dave has already mentioned uh, the one dave. rudolph Honderun. uh his original nickname is actually new york facts yeah. and uh, the book the Hustler is written by a man named Walter Tevis. In the original manuscript of that book, the character Minnesota Fats was actually named New York Fats, Ooh. supporting his claim that he, the character Minnesota Fats, right. was actually based on him. He is a liar, though, in other other ways, he, he, David. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there's some other bullshit okay, that okay, comes okay. with I, I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> he, but he, he parlayed his, his that career of, uh, of staking the claim to being I'm being the original Minnesota Fats in the books into a game show and then being executive vice president of, uh, of, of a billiards company. So for me, the politician that I'm going to compare him to is the one who's parlayed a lot of things in the time that he was alive from, I will never tell a lie to the, the George. So I'm going to compare him to George Washington because George Washington definitely told lies and did nonsense. Just like our man, New York fats, Rudolph Wanderon. Hell yeah. That's a great, that's a great connection. Am I going to be like the positive one on this game? <laughs> because that's amazing. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, um, so uh, my next one is a pool player that wasn't on a lot of the lists that I looked at, but after I did a little bit more 
searching, I found him, and his name is Cicero Murphy. Cicero Murphy, I love Cicero Murphy. I I, uh, I bought his biography, and then my mom also bought me his biography, and so I had two copies of this book, and they're terrible. <laughs> it's a poorly written book, but Cicero Murphy kicks ass. That's too bad because he has an amazing story. Um, yeah. You know, and he was so and that's part of that story is that he was the first and I believe still only African-American to win a billiards tournament. Um, Not not any billiards tournament, but certainly to win like the world championship, the, maybe yes. the straight the full world championship, 14.1. Yes. Uh, and which he won in 1965. Um, and He's from Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, which Bed is why, as a politician, he is hopeful politician, New York City mayoral candidate, Diane Morales, who I try to mention in almost every episode, um, who's also from Bed-Stuy. And if she wins, she'll be the first Black woman mayor of New York City. Dang. So, let's do that. Let's make that. That's great. Um, I, I will say it turns out Cicero Murphy cheated on his wife so much, mm. um, uh, I which say, was, I want to read that biography, but now I kind of don't. Well, yeah, I mean, it was like, it was very, it was very, um, illustrative and I think a little bit, uh, it, it kind of forgave Cicero Murphy for all of his, um, indiscretions of which there were a lot. Um, which, you know, maybe that's, that's the way, how you want to read a book though. So my next one is, it's a little bit of a combo. There's a guy and I'm sure you've heard of him or even seen stuff by him. His name is Earl Strickland. Okay. He is, I believe he's from North Carolina. He is the most outspoken, uh, pool player that there is. He will, he will, uh, insult the guy who just kicked his ass at pool he like gets in fights. He he went to England and like yelled at the referee and yelled at the crowd. If, it, if ever there's anyone who like he thinks you're disrespecting him, it'll be your problem for the rest of the night. He's like just an agitator, but he's super, super good at winning. Um, so that guy is a combination of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. So like sort of a mixture of the two of those. Donald Trump for his <laughs> bluster and his like insult comedy, basically, um, and his like ability to polarize a room. But um, Bernie Sanders, because for some reason, everybody likes him still. Like, and, and not, I, I mean, I like Bernie Sanders a lot for, uh, because he's got good policies, but I needed a, a way to make Donald Trump likable to everybody so i i added that element of bernie sanders gotcha um but yeah he he is uh i i wish i kind of wish donald trump had been a pool player and not a uh a horrible president yeah we probably would all be better off absolutely yeah i think so i mean not the pool community but maybe no. the world at large all right for my next one my next one the theme of this is going to be prodigy and the, the pool player i'm going to be talking about is cecil buddy hill nicknamed the rifleman started playing pool at 14 turned pro at 17 he falsified documents to to, to have his age so he could be old enough to play pro he was 
legally he was 18 or 19, but he was actually 17. He's the first pool player to ever to be mentioned on ESPN. And he's a member of the international pool tour, child prodigy. So I started thinking about politicians who are also a child prodigy. And I'm going to talk about Henry Clay, born in 1777. He was a lawyer at 1797. He is uh, 26 when he won the election to Kentucky House of Representatives. And at 34, he is the youngest person to become speaker. Still a member of the state Senate by 1851 at age 75. So just like the rifleman, Henry Clay is also a prodigy. So Henry Clay is rifleman of pool players. Um, All right. So my next one, I'm going to talk about a pool player that was already talked about, which is Efren Reyes. Um, the legend, like you said, uh, Raleigh, one of the greatest, potentially the greatest, uh, widely considered pool player. Um, and the theme of it for me is total badasses that have been doing it forever, which is what he is. And also his nickname in, I guess, Tagalog, he, he's Filipino is Bata, which means kid. But to me, he looks like an uncle. Like he looks like somebody's uncle, Um, you know, like he's not, he's not like super fit. He just like, he looks like he would show up to like the tournament with like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and like a beer and just destroy everyone. Uh, And that's why as a politician, he's auntie Maxine waters. Um, Cause you, there you go. Uncle and auntie and total badass who's been doing it forever. And uh, yeah, she lets everybody know what's up all the time. So if Efren Reyes. Great. Yeah, that the reason why um, Efren's nickname was Bata was because there was already an Efren Reyes at the pool hall that he went to. And they were like, <laughs> who the fuck? No, we're just going to call you the kid. And then it, tur- it, it turned out they were just like talking to the best player ever. All right, my next one is Willie Moscone. Willie Moscone is sort of thought to be the, the the father of straight pool. He is a really, he was the, um, he was the, the light side to Minnesota Fats' dark side. Minnesota Fats was a motor mouth, hustler, gambler, smoker, boozer, womanizer, um, you know, a cool guy. No, I'm just joking. But, uh, and then Willie Moscone was kind of more reserved and he was a, uh, you know, he, he, he has his name on a lot of stuff. There's a big thing called the Moscone Cup. Um, he had a lot of records in the, in the record book. And so I thought um, Thomas Jefferson. And I think Thomas Jefferson is a good comparison because they look a lot alike. For some reason, they actually weirdly look pretty similar. So it's possible Thomas Jefferson's is some kind of time-traveling billiard enthusiast. Um, also, Thomas Jefferson had a pool table. And finally, uh, Thomas Jefferson has his name on a lot of stuff. So like high schools, libraries, that kind of thing. And Willie Moscone has his name on stuff. Nice. Yeah. All right, on to me. So my next pool player, um, I have fond memories of watching her on the ESPN. And I'm talking about Jeanette oh, yeah. Lee, nicknamed the Black Widow. So I'm going to give you two different quotes of what some other pool players have said about her. One is that she eats people alive. The other one is very sweet to mirror, but vicious. 27 pool titles after turning pro in 1989, the Black Widow. Now here, 
on the Know Your Roles podcast, Rally, we kind of will bend the rules a little bit. So Ness is the politician I'm going to compare it to is I'm going to compare it to a politician from film and arguably one of my wow. favorite films and arguably one of my favorite characters of all time. Also a sweet demure and a little bit vicious. I'm talking about Tracy Flick. Ruthless. Roger Ebert said he quoted uh, David Merrick by saying it is like it's not enough for me to win. My enemies must lose. So Jeanette Lee is the Tracy Flick of politicians. Dave. Amazing. I, I love that. I love how you were like, I'm going to use a politician from film. And it's like a politician. She ran for the school president. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> yeah, We've been the rules. We've been the rules. Yeah, like, I think but the way you phrased it was yeah. really nice. You're oh, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's a politician. It's just from film. It's just still like, a politician. Yeah. How, yeah. What do you, yeah, what do you mean? And then you freaking dropped that little. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. great. Oh, thank you. Hey, off the top rope, George. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to continue that by also choosing Jeanette Lee, the, the Black Widow. Uh, and I had a similar experience to you, George, where I was like, I, she was, and I think a lot of people, uh, she was probably the only pool player I knew for like a long time, you know, because yeah. she was on ESPN all the time. And she had like a like a meteoric rise. It felt like uh, as far as like her public persona, um, and part of it was because she's so charming. Like she's super charming, and she was great on those shows. And you know, we all know like not every athlete should be like in front of the camera, and uh, she was definitely one who was super comfortable with it. And also, she she overcame like a terrible condition when she was a kid where she couldn't bend as far as I know. Or, yeah. And uh, she like, so she played with like through extreme pain. Um, But again, super, super mediocre rights. Also someone from New York. And that's why I wanted to compare her to a politician who is on what I hope is a meteoric rise. Also from New York also overcame a lot of odds which is Jamal Bowman. Jamal Bowman, newly elected congressman from the Bronx. Um, yeah, he is someone who I think we're going to be seeing a lot of over the next few years, uh, which is great because he is really awesome. Again, he came from education. He was a school principal. He grew up in a housing project in a divested area. Like He overcame a lot to get where he is. And one of the best things, talk about, being comfortable in front of the camera and being magnetic from his, I will never forget uh, from his winning uh, speech, the night he was elected, he opened his speech by saying something like, uh, I am Donald Trump's worst nightmare, a black man with power. And yeah. like he, I was just like, you bow down to Jamal Bowman. So yes, he is the Jeanette Lee of pool players politicians that's excellent um that's great and and uh not to not to bring the room down too much but jeanette lee was recently diagnosed with a pretty serious cancer mm -hmm. but she is uh it, it, she's having treatment right now and she seems to be responding pretty pretty well to treatment and if you are so inclined am i allowed to plug her gofundme page yes please do okay so she's got a gofundme page for um if if the cancer is you know for for her treatment and for a, a fund for her kids, so just Google those terms 
and uh, you'll find it. Um, yeah. So my, I, one that I thought was maybe just a little bit of a one-off that I think is still very relevant. You guys is, uh, Nayuki Oi, who is this, he's a Japanese, uh, pool player. He's currently in the, I think he's in the semifinals of the world cup of pool, which is going on right now. He, crazy match guys, crazy match. Canada had to drop out team Canada dropped out. So they, drafted these two guys from England, one of whom was an announcer. They're like old. They haven't played in a while. And they're currently crushing. They've like beaten all the best teams. Just these two dudes who are just friends. Um it's it's crazy. Um but Nayuki Oi is on on Team Japan and he always does in he he doesn't speak English very fluently, but he's so fun and funny that he'll just like really go for it and really riff and his interviews go viral all the time. And, and, uh, you might, there was a viral video pretty recently where he was like, he was like today, very lucky. Congratulations. me!" <laughs> and it just like really killed. And so, uh, that guy uh, politically, his, uh, counterpart is the rent is too damn high guy. <laughs> um because uh he went viral from an interview <laughs> awesome the rent is too damn high it, it is, it is. Yeah. i mean and he was right the whole time and Nayuki Oi is an amazing player so it turns out the rent is too damn high guy we should take another look at him awesome george all right for my final one the theme of this is uh perseverance or overcoming the odds my final pool player almost two decades ago two decades ago was hit by a drunk driver thus losing the ability to use his right arm. For six years, this guy trained every day for about eight hours to learn how to play pool with his left arm. And the guy I'm talking about is a pool player by the name of Mark Zhu. Perseverance, guys. And he's one of the best uh, uh, pool players in the world. Uh, one arm, of course. So I wanted to compare him to a politician who also had to persevere through the same affliction. And the politician I'm talking about is a guy named John Hyde, who also lost use of his right arm. He's a politician in Australia 20 years ago. So John Hyde and Mark Zhu, perseverance. That's my last one. Playing pool with one arm, I can't, like, that can't even, that breaks my brain. Like, that's crazy. Oh, I watched yeah. videos of it. It's filthy. It's He's, he's ridiculously good. Six Did years he, Does he have the, the, does he use the bridge or does he use like a little weight on the bottom of his queue? He uses a little weight on the bottom of his queue. Oh yeah. That guy's nuts. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. I got to look those up. Yeah. Mark um, you. All right. So my last one is, like I said, I didn't know a ton about pool players. And when I was doing my research, uh, I was looking up videos and the first thing I clicked on was, a video about Jeanette Lee, uh, the mm -hmm. Black Widow. But the thing was, it wasn't with Jeanette Lee. It was with my next pool player, which is you, Raleigh. Uh. It was you, Raleigh Williams. Because um, I, I literally, I clicked on it and then you started talking on the screen. I was like, wait, wait, this is the guy. <laughs> like we're about, like it's the same. <laughs> um, so that was- I got uh, good SEO, man. That was a fun moment for me. Um, <laughs> But uh, the video that I watched was the the video where you tried to recreate the and ultimately did the Jeanette Lee trick shot, which, again, you want to talk like I 
I have played a, a some pool in my life, um, but I'm certainly not like a big pool player. And seeing that shot, it just seems like a complete impossibility to me. Um, mm. But you did it, and it took you, I think, about sixty something tries, which sounds like a lot. Right. But sounds like a lot, but to me, that's still really impressive. And so I wanted to compare you to a politician who it took them a while to get it right, but they did eventually. And also someone who did some good things for climate change. You have done more, but uh, which is Jimmy Carter. Jimmy hey! Carter. <laughs> um, he did a lot of great stuff after he was president. And uh, he did some good stuff while he was president. One of the things he did was he put, and I always go back to this, like, because I am uh, want to talk about how awful Ronald Reagan was whenever I have the opportunity to, uh, whenever I have the capacity to. Um, but uh, Jimmy Carter put solar panels on the White House in the 70s. Yeah. And then day one of Reagan's administration, they ripped them off of the roof. And it's like, that's a perfect microcosm of, you know, the things we were talking about earlier about uh, the campaign by the fossil fuel industry. And it's just like, we could have had solar. Like, could you imagine? Like, we, there was solar panels on the White House in the 70s. Yeah. So, yes. Raleigh, you are the Jimmy Carter of pool players. That's amazing. I, Jimmy Carter, I think I, maybe I need to learn more about him, but he seems like he's like in the running for top five best presidents. I mean, in my opinion, that's like not saying much, um, like best president. Um, right. But yeah, I would. Yes, I would agree with you. He is. OK. I mean, but I, I, every time I think that I'm just like, oh, I bet th this guy sounds great. And then you like two links into their Wikipedia page. It's like, yeah, for some reason, he kept his sister in the attic as a prisoner. <laughs> because you know, it's like, whoa, boy. Yeah, well, I, I think your instinct is right, but I don't think the skeletons are that like the skeletons aren't as bad as other people's other presidents skeletons <laughs> that's that's good yeah. okay my last one is it's a little bit of a stretch um in that it's not a it's not a politician as much as it is a figure who trades in politics so uh, george i'm sorry that i couldn't be as slick with my my uh fuzzy math on that one as as you were um it's, but how about it my friend all right excellent the pool player is ronnie o'sullivan who is that that guy is an unbelievable talent. If you're out there and you're wondering who Ronnie O'Sullivan is, just type into YouTube um, Ronnie O'Sullivan, or like fastest 147, which is like the top score in snooker, which is British pool. And he's just this like, he, he, he just is a guy who can play 10 times better. At his best, he's 10 times better than like the number two guy at his best. It's just this wild, wild gap. But he's really streaky. Sometimes he does, like he got addicted to drugs. Um, for like 10 years, he didn't win much. And then he won the biggest three events, like back to back to back. Like this dude is nuts. Um, Ronnie O'Sullivan, look him up. He's an amazing uh, figure in the billiards world. And the figure, the figure he's most similar to is Russell Brand. Politically active, not a politician, but politically <laughs> active. He's got a podcast that talks about politics a lot. He is frequently a drug addict, but now I think he's sober, just like Ronnie O'Sullivan is. Um, and they both talk like they're from London. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, that's... Uh... 
That's our game. <laughs> I feel That's good. the game, baby. That's the game. Uh, before we let you go, I actually one have one quick question. Are you a gambler? Not so much. I do it for fun. I I I certainly have. I'm net negative in the gambling department. I like playing five dollar blackjack, or I'll bet like 10, 15, 20 bucks on a game of pool. But like, I'm not the kind of gambler that you need to worry about showing up at your door with no shoes on and like a okay. knife in his back. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of those. Yeah. Couple. Are you guys um, gamblers? You big gamblers? I, I dabble every once in a while, but it's usually sports and. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's my politicians. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I did bet somebody a hundred dollars that uh, Biden would win. Oh. I'm glad yeah, you got your hundred dollars. Nice. I didn't get oh, the money what yet. A piece of the guy still owes me. <laughs> he's he's one of those uh, voter voter fraud kind of guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, before we let you go, can you wanna you wanna plug something for us? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, if you guys just go to uh YouTube and type in Climate Town, that's my YouTube page. I'm putting up videos. Uh it's been about once a month, but people have uh donated money to my Patreon, so now I can do it a little more often. So uh just go check out some of those videos. And also if you want, um Type in, uh, uh, you know, Kamui brand or your average pool player or something. And I'm also, so there's something, there's something for everybody, you know, there's like serious stuff. Uh, and then there's billiard stuff, which is 100% recreational. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was a, it was a blast. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thanks so much, you guys. Absolutely. Thanks for spending some time with us, Raleigh. It's nice to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Cool. Talk to you guys later. Have a good day. Bye. All right. Thank you again to Raleigh Williams. That was great. Definitely check out his website, RaleighWilliamsComedy.com. Tune into Climate Town on YouTube and follow him on Instagram at Raleigh Williams and at Climate Town. All right. We're going to go into Last Call where we talk about things we are looking forward to and what we uh, got coming up on the horizon. George, what's going on? Uh, two things that I'm going to be checking out this weekend. One is the TV show or docuseries called Pride, which airs on FX May 14th. I believe it's a six-parter. And it is about LGBT rights uh, in the United States starting with the 1950s. And I am all about a, a docuseries. And it's, to, it's from the 50s. And then one episode is the 60s, another episode is the 70s, 80s, 90s, until now. And uh, FX has, uh, has a very high approval rating in the George Gordon house. And I usually try to catch a lot of things that I do. And this looks really, really good. And then the other thing I'm going to be looking at, it's the last four games of the NBA season. And it's going to end on Sunday. Adam Silver is a big soccer fan. So it's, it's going to end all the games that, are, that matter are going to end Sunday at the same time. So nobody's going to know what's going to go on. But it looks like. If you're if you're the Lakers, you're probably going to wind up being the seventh seed, which means you're going to be playing the eight seed, the Golden State Warriors, in the uh, the round robin tournament to, to play in the playing game for the tournament. And the way it works is the seventh seed, whoever wins the seven eight seed, is in, and then the, the loser of that game plays the winner of the the nine ten game, and uh, the so as long as you win one, if you're seven eight, you sh- you'll be in. So it looks like Lakers and Warriors are going to be in because the winner of the 9-10 has got to win that one and then beat the 8 seed, the loser of the 8-7. Yeah. 
But anyway, it's a lot of math, and I'm super excited for it. And uh, I'm annoyed that anybody thinks it's stupid. I think it's a great idea. So <laughs> shout out to, to Adam Silver for, for copying the soccer model. Dave, what are you looking forward to? Uh, yeah, I also like it um, as far as like, you know, it adds excitement. And as we established, our teams are at the bottom of the barrel. So it's like gives us something well, to watch. All we got to do is win two. Give us something to watch for. Um, all you're really going to have to do is not anything because the Bulls are going to lose. So don't worry. Uh, or you mean in the in the play in tournament? Yeah, um, all you got to do is win two. Or if you're the nine, 10, if you win, you win your game and then the loser of the seven, eight, then you're in. Yeah, as my friend put it, uh, got to fight to get in to get in. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, the only one really quick thing, because I'm going to add uh, some more stuff in, in uh, Mary Bess's segment coming up here. That's a little heavy on the heavier side. Um, but I'm looking forward to the WNBA season, which is starting um, again. I'm trying to trying to stoke this rivalry between me and George that we don't actually have. And we probably won't ever. Um, (laughs) I'm actually not interested in it, but the Chicago sky are playing the Washington mystics in the first, uh, in the first game on Saturday uh, in their first game on Saturday, looking forward to uh, seeing Courtney Vandersloot and uh, Candace Parker get uh, and quit Ali Quigley do uh, do their thing. So yeah, WNBA, let's get it. Now we're going to go to producer Mary Bess for her thoughts in MB's booth. Mary Bess. Thank you, Dave. Um, I, As you mentioned, uh, I did want to talk about something that was a little heavier today. Um, if you've been paying attention to the news cycle, you've seen the escalation of violence against Palestinians over the last few weeks. Dispossession, militarized attacks on civilians and children, and public beatings are just some of the acts being carried out by Israeli forces. And these scenes are nothing new. As we cannot fully delve into this issue with the few minutes this segment affords, and as I myself am still learning about these violent clashes, I simply want to ask our listeners to pay attention. If you value human rights and are invested in the actions of the US government, please educate yourself on this issue and the role the Biden administration has to play in funding the Israeli military. Look to trusted, fact-based sources and seek out voices on the ground in this region. As the violent conflict has been ongoing for over 70 years, there's a lot to unpack. But that also means that we who are new to this struggle have a lot of resources. Contact your elected officials and urge them to support HR 2590, which calls for an end to funding Israel's oppression of Palestinians. Follow organizations like the Institute for Middle East Understanding and the Palestinian Youth Movement. Add your name to petitions to fight unlawful displacement and persecution of Palestinians. And if you're able, donate to efforts like Medical Aid for Palestinians and Human Concern. We'll be linking to all of these resources in today's episode description, so look for that. Dave, George, do you have anything you'd like to add? Take it away, Dave. Yeah, I do have a couple of things I'd like to add. I first want to say thank you very much to Mary Bess. Uh, that was very, I, I really appreciate uh, all the consideration you, you took in, in that statement. For the very first thing I want, I want to say is to any of our Muslim listeners is Eid Mubarak, because it is the end of Ramadan right now, which is something that was kind of glossed over by a lot of people in the media. 
um, in the corporate mainstream, or I don't like using that term mainstream in the like for-profit media in that, like, this is a holy time, which is like why people were at Al-Aqsa mosque praying when it was raided. Um, as a Jewish person from the States, uh, this is like a very close issue for me. And as someone who is also very strongly anti-Zionist, uh, it's been something that's always been very difficult for me to talk about with people who aren't necessarily on the same page, um, especially other Jews. Uh, and I just, I'm not going to spend like too, too much time. I just want to say a couple of things um, in that like a lot of issues, this this is one that has been made to be very complex and complicated. And speaking about it is is very complicated because there are so many things that go into it. But at the core of the issue, I would say that it's not extremely complicated. Uh, in a lot of these situations, like there are oppressed and oppressors, you know, and Palestinians have lived under apartheid conditions and brutality for many, many years, decades. Um, and standing bef behind the people of Palestine and criticizing the state and government of Israel uh, is not anti-Semitic. Like you can be anti-Zionist and a Jew, a proud Jew, and, and uh, not anti-Semitic at all. And and I, I certainly, um, there are many many Jews in this country and around the world who do not stand for the actions of of the Israeli state. Yeah, it's like I said, it's very complicated and complex as well because of the relationship which you mentioned, Mary Best, between U.S. political. Uh, actors and industry and the media. I also just really encourage people to educate themselves, uh, you know, and, and and always be learning. We're going to link to some more resources in our episode descriptions, um, but some of the ones that you have that we have prepared, or I highly recommend uh, Edward Said, who is a Palestinian thinker and 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 writer and activist, and he you know, has been telling the world about uh, apartheid conditions for 30, 40 years. Um, you know, so again, as Mary Best stated, this is not new. Uh, also, Angela Davis is someone great to read on this, as well as a lot of Black and Indigenous uh, activists and abolitionists, because these struggles are are tied together. There's that intersectionality that, you know, is being talked about a lot more these days um, on how these struggles are connected. Black and indigenous liberation in this country is directly tied to Palestinian liberation in Palestine. Um, and, uh, you know, so if you follow a lot of that, those racial justice organizations and thinkers and writers, you're, you're going to get a lot of that from them as well. Um, because, yeah, settler colonialism. It's what Israel was founded on and what the U.S. was founded on. It's the stealing of land. Um, again, uh, I want to recommend uh, Exterminate All the Brutes 
uh, the Raul Peck series because he he's very unflinching and, and very unrelenting. It's very heavy. We watched the first couple and it's like, man, it's, it's tough, but it's really powerful. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking about this now. Um, like Mary Beth said, we can't, uh, can't do it in, you can't cover it all in, in two minutes. And, and that's like, not really what our show is anyway. Uh, I just felt, uh, the need to to say some of those things uh, it's definitely been very difficult this week uh, uh again our thoughts are with people in, in palestine people struggling uh people facing oppression everywhere whatever you can do to show solidarity being um supporting hr 2590 calling your reps uh all of your reps screaming about this going to direct actions when you can uh following palestinian organizations and also supporting palestinian businesses and uh some of the ones that we love are restaurants (laughs) we love to go to certain palestinian restaurants in brooklyn in bay ridge uh shout out to tannerine one of the great restaurants in Brooks, one of Hillary and her family's spots. So they, I have to give them credit as, uh, you know, as to not, uh, have her hear this and be like, you wouldn't know about Tannerine if it wasn't for me. Um, so yes, that is why I know about it, but support, but you know, I'm being, I'm trying to lighten it up here, but, uh, it's important. It's important to show solidarity and like to support marginalized peoples always in, in every context. That's awesome, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your perspective. You're very unique and lovely and impassioned perspective on this. We really appreciate you. Um, I know this is hard, so thank you. Uh, George, did you have anything you wanted to add before we move on from this uh, booth? No, I was just uh, typing up HR 2590, looking uh, looking up uh, some of the details. Thank you, George. All right. So thank thank you to everyone for for listening and, and hearing that. Thank you, Mary Bess and George, for, for giving me the space to talk about that. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this show. And uh, George, tell me something good. <laughs> what do we got going on on the show next week? So for next week, we have dancer, choreographer, and Mayfield and Chilo's manager, Carlos Cruz Velasquez. And we're going to be talking about dancers and seafood dishes. That is the only time you'll hear me say that last name like that, because I'm always annoyed when people <laughs> say Spanish words and Spanish names like it's just in Spain. But that's good. <laughs> I agree anyway. with you, but his name deserves it. It's a beautiful name. So it's it's a fun little hang. I cannot it. wait to have, to have him on the show. Yeah. So next week, Carlos Cruz Velasquez. Awesome. All right. We're going to wrap it up. I want to go ahead and say thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to George. Thank you to producer Mary Bess. Thank you to our wonderful team that did the theme song for Know Your Roles. That's Alan Tech Kid, Nate88, and Kazo Oslo. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Know Your Roles. Follow us on social media at KYR Pod. Everybody, please take care. Be safe. And for me, my usual send-off, uh, and that includes uh, you guy walking your dog early this morning. Uh, wear your mask over your fucking nose. Peace and have a good one, guys. You know the world of a rough style. You know the world of a rough style.